in Lorraine's daily readings during this week she came across this statement from Selwyn Hughes. If all the Christians who neglect regular reading of the word of God were to blow the dust off their Bibles simultaneously we would probably experience the greatest dust storm in history. (laughs) Well, that may be so. But over these three weeks, uh, we'll be looking at a little book in the Old Testament and I want you to turn to that book, Malachi. Using the Pew Bible, it's page 949. Chapter 1 of Malachi. Now after the service there will be notes available I've put some down here on the corner of the communion table If you would like a copy please come and take it afterwards Now chapter 1 of Malachi verse 1 An oracle The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi I have loved you says the Lord But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord says? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, Though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says, they may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. It can be disappointing to lose something that we enjoy in life but it can be disastrous if we lose something that's essential for life. And Malachi lived in a time when God's people lost a number of things that they enjoyed in life and many also lost their faith, which of course is essential for life. Where was God? What sort of God was he? What would he do in these sorts of circumstances? And Malachi was God's messenger and because his little book is in the Bible, he's a messenger to us as well. And so this is the little book for our subject during this series. Now in this first session we'll look at the background to the book. A background to this time near the close of the Old Testament period. I think it will be helpful if we can get an overview of the what and how and who of this time before we get into the message of the book. Now first, let's look at the Old Testament. Don't get a stiff neck looking on the side. I just want you to notice that these 39 books are divided into groups. The first group contains five books about the law God gave to Moses. 
The second group are books about history, mainly the history of Israel. Then comes the wisdom literature, including books like Psalms and Proverbs. Now the fourth group are the large prophetic books like Isaiah and Ezekiel. And then finally there are the twelve minor prophets and Malachi is the last. Now this shows that these books are divided into groups according to their subject matter. They are not really assembled in strict chronological order. And although Malachi was probably written in the same time that Ezra and Nehemiah lived, the books bearing their names are in the historical group, whereas Malachi comes in the prophets. Well now what was happening in the time of Malachi, Ezra and Nehemiah? Now one important date here is the date 586 BC when the Babylonians finally crushed Jerusalem after a long siege and after several groups of people had been deported to Babylon some 1,200 kilometres away to the east, the distance from Melbourne to way the other side of Newcastle. But 47 years later, the Babylonians had been displaced as the world's dominant power of the time. And Cyrus, king of Persia, allowed the deported people to return to their homeland. Now those who chose to return had great hopes, great expectations, but Jerusalem lay in ruins and so much work needed to be done. Projects were started with great enthusiasm, but it soon waned Hope faded and opposition grew. And it was not until the prophets Haggai and Zechariah rekindled hope and courage and the temple reconstruction was finally completed. And notice that 47 plus 23 equals 70 years after that temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians but life continued to be tough. People complained. There were droughts and storms. The bright expectations that the earlier prophets had spoken of didn't seem to eventuate. God seemed a long way away and disinterested. Well, another 60 years passed and more exiles returned from Babylon under the direction of Ezra and Nehemiah. Fresh hope was kindled by these leaders, but only for a while. And then disappointment again came to the people. It was in this gloomy situation that Malachi arrives as the messenger from God and it was probably around the 450s BC. Now summarising the mood of the people during these, this long period of some 130 years, there was just too much work to do. There were too many gloomy critics about. 
There were too many droughts and storms and other setbacks that interrupted their food supply. And it was just too hard to follow the preaching of the prophets. Now as a result, the people became disillusioned, discouraged, disappointed, distracted, disbelieving and disobedient. Not all at once. Just gradually, over time, these things happen. Now in a word, their faith in God failed. Now we should probably just pause here for a minute. There'll be some of you this morning who are probably beginning to think that pretty well describes where I'm at. Things haven't worked out as I thought they would. It really seems God's forgotten me. I I wonder whether this Christian faith is worthwhile. Now others of us will be thinking back to times when we felt like that. It seemed to be tough going. Well now such times are not confined to the Old Testament nor are they confined to the New Testament. God's people experience times like this throughout history. The details change but the underlying experiences occur over and over again. Malachi was God's messenger to these troubled people of his time but his message has relevance for us today. Now let's just stop for a minute and ask God's help for us as we go through this series over these next three weeks. Father, we want to thank you for the Bible, the record of your revelation to humankind. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who enlightens our minds to its truth. As we study this last book of the Old Testament, help me to teach it faithfully and interestingly and help us all to understand its message and see its relevance in these days in which we live and give us grace to apply its lessons for our good and for your glory. Amen. Well, let's just stand back a little bit and have a a, a general look at the book. Firstly, the reason for the book. Reading through the four chapters will take you about 11 or 12 minutes. But as you read through in one sitting, there'll be some phrases or words that begin to stand out to you. They have to do with God, who is frequently referred to as the Lord Almighty. Now as an exercise, look quickly through the verses of chapter 1. Just skim down, running down, looking for these two phrases that are shown here. Says the Lord and says the Lord Almighty. Count up how many times.
Now I think you'll find there are ten. They appear in verse 2, 4, 6, 8, 9, 10, 11, two times in verse 13 and then in verse 14. Now if we go through the remaining chapters and add in the times those same phrases occur, we find that in the book itself, it's 55 verses, these statements occur 25 times. Now what do you make of that? And I think it's this. God has something important to say. The Lord Almighty says... And Malachi keeps... We don't have here some interesting thoughts from Malachi about the issues of his day. This is the word of the Lord Almighty. That's the reason for the book. Now, the style of the book. Remember, these are discouraged and dispirited people. How will Malachi write so that the people will actually take up the material and read it? Well, he adopted an interesting style. Now look at these three verses that come from chapters 1 and 2. In each one, a statement is made. Chapter 1, verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord. Verse 6, it is you, O priests, who have shown contempt for my name. And then in chapter 2, verse 17, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Statements, But I want you to notice also that following each statement there's a response that comes and it's a response in the form of a question. I have loved you, says the Lord, but then the reply comes, but you ask, how have you loved us? And then in verse 6, how have we shown contempt for your name? In chapter 2, verse 17, you've wearied the Lord with your words and the response comes, how have we wearied him? Now there are three more examples that come in later chapters, particularly in chapter 3. The same sort of style is used. Make a statement which then draws a response in the form of a question. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. Statement. But you ask, response, how are we to return to you? And then 3 verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. And the response comes in the form of the question, but you ask, how do we rob you? And then similarly in chapter 3 verse 13, how have we wearied him with our words? Now notice in each statement the word you has appeared. Malachi is addressing the people. You. Now that certainly seems to catch their attention. Well, that's us. How are we going to respond to this? And so they make their responses. But actually the statements catch them off guard. And they're not quite sure how to respond And so we get the six questions. Malachi made them think about key issues raised by his six statements. So this statement response style gained their attention but as we look at the responses 
they reveal a sad weakness to do with their faith. There were some vital things they just did not know. Well, that's the style Malachi used to get the attention of these dispirited people. Well, now, how does he arrange his material, the structure of the book? And here, for convenience, I've used the layout that's suggested in the NIV Study Bible. And that outline suggests that there are four parts, two little ones, two longer ones. The opening verse is a title which puts in a nutshell what the book is, where its material came from and how it came to the people. Then the next part, part B, is an introduction, verses 2 to 5, and in these few verses Malachi provides the foundation upon which the rest of his message is built. Now those two shorter parts we'll look at this morning. Now from chapter 1 verse 6 through to chapter 2 verse 16 Israel's unfaithfulness is rebuked and it involves both the priests and the people. Then the rest of the book from chapter 2.17 to the end deals with what God would do about this situation and it depends upon the coming of the Lord, the Messiah, who had been promised by the earlier prophets. Well now with all of that background, I hope we've got some sort of feel of what it was like, the task that Malachi had to do and now we're ready to have a look at what he did. So part one, the title, chapter one, verse one. Look at it in your Bible. The first two words describe the type of book this is. It's an oracle. You probably didn't use that word last week. But the meaning of oracle is linked to the bearing of a burden. You think, well, what's that got to do with a message from God? It seems as though this was a burden that weighed upon Malachi's heart. This was not an easy task for him to undertake to convey to the people this message from God. So this is an oracle. Then in the next few words we're told that this is the word of the Lord. Notice how the word Lord appears in our Bibles. L-O-R-D in capitals. There's a very rich meaning and purpose for that. That's the special name that God gave to his people by which they could address him and it carries with it a sense of important characteristics of God's nature. He is the eternal and almighty God. He is a faithful God what he says he will do and you can count on it. And then he is a God who is committed to his chosen people. Nothing will cause him to turn aside from the purposes he has for them. That is the God who speaks. 
Now in the psalm that we read this morning, the word Lord appeared spelt that way in capitals because this was a psalm that David wrote. The people who read it, he was their God, that kind of God. Now when you are discouraged and dispirited, when you're down, when God seems a long way away, That is vital to remember. He is L-O-R-D, capital letters. But in the same psalm, L-O-R-D was not spelt like that. The same letters, but they weren't capitals, except the first one. That's a different meaning. And that's for another time. So, not just interesting ideas about things from Malachi. He is communicating the word of God the Lord then the next little bit of the verse who's this message for it's to Israel that is God's chosen people he had a word for these troubled disillusioned people whose faith had failed and then that first verse ends with the words through Malachi that's how it came to them God spoke through a person. Malachi. His name is significant because it means my messenger. So here in just 11 words in our Bibles we have the what, the who, the how of this little but significant Old Testament book. It's an example of concise writing at its best. Now we go to the introduction. Verses 2 to 5. Have a look at them in your Bible. This section begins with the words, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Now this is Malachi's first use of that distinctive literary style. Statement which calls for a response and it comes in the form of a question. It's striking that the first thing God said to these discouraged people was, I have loved you. Now I think in their hearts they thought that that was no longer true. But God reaffirms this fundamental truth to them. Now the sad thing about their response was that they don't seem to be aware of that fact. Oh, really? How? How have you loved us? Their ignorance is almost unbelievable to us. They just didn't know. Now it's interesting that Malachi directs his thoughts and the thoughts of his readers and listeners to Jacob and Esau. Now they lived way back in the past, even for those people of that time. Yes, they were brothers. In fact, they were twin brothers as God had loved the people of Malachi's time with their failings, so way back previously he had loved Jacob with his failings. God was consistent. He was committed to keeping the terms of his covenants. 
Now just to see what covenants were about, I'd like you to look at Deuteronomy 11.26. Now it'll come on the screen and this is Moses telling us what covenants were about. And he says, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God, notice how Lord is spelt. The curse, if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God. Now notice the little word if. It appears twice in that verse. You see, what happens ultimately depends upon a condition being met. Now if we go back to Malachi 1 and verse 2, God said, I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Now they can be emotive kind of words, but their application in this verse I think is like this. They are words which illustrate extreme positions. One is loved, the other is not loved. Now God is not subject to moods, sometimes loving us and sometimes not loving us, hating us. I don't think the words are used in that sense. They are wanting us to take hold of the thought that there are extremes here, opposite ends of a spectrum. And the covenant originally made with Abraham was renewed with Jacob and covenants promised two things. Blessings for obedience but curses for disobedience as Deuteronomy 11.26 says. Now neither of these men, Esau or Jacob, were perfect but Jacob chose to pursue a relationship with God while Esau persistently chose to go his own way and ignore God. Now God loved both of them equally but love requires a positive response if its purposes and goal are to be met. There were blessings in the subsequent story of Jacob but we see in the verses there in front of you in chapter 1 there were curses for Esau and his descendants because of choices each man made. Now we note that the nation of Israel descended from Jacob. That's why he's mentioned by Malachi. And the nation of Edom descended from Esau and here we see how God's purposes work out for two different nations choosing to ignore God does not dismiss him from our lives notice in the verses in the introduction that God turned the region where Esau lived into a wasteland God did that His descendants thought they'd rebuild those ruins. But God is still there. 
and their reconstruction program was unsuccessful. In verse 5 we are reminded that both blessings that came to Jacob's descendants by God's grace and the disasters which came upon Esau's descendants by God's justice both affirm that God is Lord. He is the Almighty One who keeps his word spoken in the covenants. He was Lord of Israel but he was also Lord of nations beyond Israel's borders. There are vital and unchanging principles here in this introduction. God the Lord the creator and sustainer of all that is, is the almighty one who fulfills his purposes. He always keeps his word, both in giving blessings and in giving curses. He is the God who loves, but the realisation of the ultimate goal of that love depends on choices people make. Malachi is given a comprehensive introduction in these few verses that sets the issues that follow in a meaningful context. So now let's try and summarise what we've done this morning in these two brief opening parts of the structure that we mentioned earlier. This is a book written about 450 BC which carries a message for disillusioned and dispirited people who've been through tough times when many lost their faith. But there's a tremendous contrast that exists here. God spoke to his people again, this time through Malachi his messenger. God still loved his people even when their faith failed. God had not forgotten his covenants and he remained faithful both in granting blessings and bringing curses. God still reigned in the world despite the failures of his people. On the one hand we have the people whose faith has failed but on the other hand there is this God who is the almighty Lord. He doesn't change. He still loves He still speaks. He has not forgotten and he still reigns in the world. So there's the introduction. That's the context in which other things are going to follow. Now for people of all ages, people who go through hard times and whose faith sometimes fails, here are fundamental principles about our God. 
who loves his people and he speaks to them in their times of trouble. But do they listen? As we start a new year, I want to suggest that you take some time, some focused time to think about this God and our relationship with him. Now are we like Jacob? Not perfect, but we choose to follow his ways. Or are we like Esau? It's a choice we make. Now this morning are we discouraged, disappointed, even thinking of quitting the faith? And it probably won't happen suddenly. It's just a steady drift, but it's downwards. Wait, wait. God still loves us and he has a word for us. And as he was in Malachi's time, so he remains today. Now next week, we'll move into the next section which is chapter 1 verse 6 through to chapter 2 verse 16. It would be good if you could read that section before we come next week. And we'll use the uh, title, Leaders and Followers, Some Straight Talking to cover this section. Well now let us close in prayer. Father we acknowledge deep within our hearts and minds that you are indeed the Lord Almighty and you don't change. When we stop and think a little we see similarities between the times of Malachi and our times today and in days when our faith is challenged when it's not easy to be a follower of Jesus enlighten our minds that we might understand what you've said and move our hearts that we might respond positively to your love and help us this year to grow stronger in our faith and so become more like the Lord Jesus, our Saviour and our Lord and our King. Amen.